Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. It's April. Well, actually, it was April last week. It was not April when we started recording last week, but it was April when you listened to it. Now it's April for everyone, and I'm here with my usual gang. So I'm, of course, Legal86, and I'm joined by my good friend, the Nerd Bomber. Hello, hello, everybody. And my other good friend, you guys are both my good friends, uh, Tactic. Hello, how's it going? I'm glad that you said other good friend because I thought you were just going to say and tactic. It's I, I always struggle with that because I introduce one of you as my good friend and then I'm like, what should I say that's equal to good friend? So I, I either say nothing or I better say good friend, friend again. I'd Wait, like, so, so when you start yeah, with yeah. tactic, you can then be like my better friend, nerd bomber. I'd like to be referred to as comrade. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, look, it, it's too late now, but we can make that happen next week. Well, if, if I remember, but either way, we're all here and we're all, we're all doing well. And we're, we're back again to talk to you guys about various nerd things and sundry. We're going to talk about what's been going on, uh, give you an update with South by Southwest because there's an exciting development there. We're going to be talking, of course, about all of these Disney release dates being pushed back. And I can guess, I can assume at this point that you can guess why we're also going to be talking about kind of the big news that came out today the day of us recording this which is uh the ps5 controller was officially revealed by sony so we'll, we'll kind of delve into that a little bit and then we're going to be talking about this new ign uh summer of gaming event which is i guess supposed to be the replacement for e3 so let's dive right in and start with the movie stuff so let's talk about south by southwest now south by southwest was one of the earlier things to be canceled due to the coronavirus and obviously sent a shockwave through the film community and through even the the Austin community in general, which for a lot of people probably don't know that the gig economy in Austin relies significantly on South by Southwest. So it being canceled was a big deal. And granted, there's not a whole lot of that can be done about that, but Amazon prime video and South by Southwest are joining forces to launch essentially the South by Southwest film festival presented by prime video. So essentially there's going to be a film festival taking place on Amazon (laughs) with a launch date yet to be announced, but uh, presumably it's going to be late in April sometime. So they'll essentially be releasing a collection of films, which can be played exclusively on Amazon prime for 10 days. And it's a one-time event. It doesn't require prime. So it's going to be in front of the prime video paywall and it's free across the country. So a lot to talk about here, obviously a lot of great things, but I mean, first of all, what what are your guys' thoughts on this? I mean, this is this is pretty great all around. There's not really anything to be upset about here. Yeah, I think it's a good way because one of the things we talk about how the city of Austin obviously had a big hit when South by Southwest got canceled, but also all of the, the people who put all of the work into the things being presented at South by Southwest took a huge blow as well because, I mean, if you've worked on a movie or something, I mean, I, I want to say a movie, especially an independent film, probably takes at least a year, maybe two, of really hard work by a small, dedicated team of people. And so this is a great way, I think, for them to get their work out there into the world, have a lot of exposure. I mean, we're all stuck at home. Amazon Prime is a great way to watch movies and TV show. So I think it'll give those creators a really good opportunity to get their work out there into the world. So I like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Life life is about rolling with the punches. And this shows that in any case, people can be resilient and figure things out and keep on keeping on. So positive. Well, and, 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 w- and what it boils down to, I think, is that... And another important aspect of a lot of films that you typically see at South by Southwest and and other indie film festivals like it is that these people who make these movies, by and large, probably don't super care about things like exclusivity or or money in general. Like you said, these are small, dedicated teams of people who want their movies to be seen by anyone. And and, and if anything, I think there's going to be a lot more people watching some of these movies than would have watched them at south by southwest and, and i think the way these these things typically go is that you know there are probably some big movies that go to south by southwest that i actually don't know but i think the way it often works is there's a small movie there that someone who has you know contacts higher up sees and says okay now we're going to get you a distributor and release this on a larger scale and more people will see it and then that's where money comes into play but for now and you know and for these creators this is amazing news for them because there's going to be people watching their movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have i mean i mean i'm a good example like i i write a movie blog and like i love movies so much i would never go to south by southwest because i don't have the financial wherewithal i don't have the time to go down to austin but if they're all going to be on amazon video for 10 days and i could just put one on during that 10 days whenever i want to and it's free you'd better believe i'm going to do it you know so 
I think it could be a really savvy decision. And it's just, it's one of the latest ways where this whole coronavirus thing, I hate even saying the term coronavirus, but like this could be changing things in a way that's permanent. Like I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this thing that Amazon and South by Southwest are doing is a significant enough success in certain ways that it becomes a thing next year as well. Like I, I could see it being a, a both kind of thing. Like there are certain movies that will only play if you actually go to Austin, but there are also certain movies that later on in April are going to be screened by Amazon. I could because- almost see it being like the award winners or something. Cause I, I don't really know how South by Southwest does it. If they have awards or anything for like the quote unquote best indie films. But if they do, I could see them like the top 10, 15 or whatever getting released then on Amazon prime for a limited release just to get more exposure out there into the world. Well, and, and, and the important thing to note too, is that I think Amazon wins here too. It, it, it was a smart move by both parties because Amazon for a long time with, with its prime originals has been, really going at least movie wise has been really going for that kind of indie content like and they've made a lot of great movies but they've also made a lot of great movies that larger studios simply weren't willing to to bankroll for i don't know whatever the reason may be so this kind of puts them even more on the map in terms of indie filmmaking than they were before and it gives indie filmmakers more of a reason to trust them as a potential distributor or just in general as someone who can help them out so it's super cool. Um, again, I don't know exactly when. I'm actually looking at this on South by Southwest's official website, and it doesn't say yet anything yet about uh, an actual release date, but it does say it's targeting a late April date. Presumably we'll know about that soon. I would imagine they're going to want to give us at least a little bit of notice. Well, I feel like too, um, and I, I feel like a lot of people are being optimistic that this might be over soon in terms of a lot of people being stuck at home because of the coronavirus. But I feel like they probably want to get it out sometime during the month of April as soon as possible to give people that stuck at home time to watch it. Because while I personally don't know if it'll end after April 30th, it's guaranteed pretty much in a lot of states in the United States and in a lot of countries around the world that people are definitely going to be home at least for the remainder of the month. Right. And and, and that, that's an important thing, too, is that, again, to think about what Amazon's motivation here is everyone's stuck at home and everyone's probably watching Netflix or Hulu and Amazon's probably sitting there thinking, okay, how do we get people on Amazon video? Because another very realistic thing that could happen is that they'll have this free movie festival and someone will be watching a free movie. And then when it ends, they'll see, oh, Amazon also has this movie and I could pay $3 to watch it. I'm going to do that. So, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity here and this entire pandemic experience that we're all going through collectively is so interesting in that certain companies first of all there are certain companies that are already benefiting from it like massively and there are also certain companies who have a real opportunity if they can be a little bit creative to reap the benefits of us all being (laughs) stuck in our houses i mean we know for a fact already that amazon is one of those companies but even in terms of prime video they could be a huge beneficiary of that so Hopefully, the indie filmmakers will be a huge beneficiary of that, too. You know, we're, we're going to be talking later about this IGN Summer of Gaming event, which is kind of in a similar vein. But it has been cool, you know, if you want to find good news from the past few weeks. It's been cool to see how people and companies are getting innovative, either in the sense of we're going to make face masks out of baseball uniforms or we're going to, you know, make ventilators even though we're a, a car company. Things like that or things like we're going to bring you know, some kind of art on a massive scale to people who are sitting in their houses who are going stir crazy. And that's equally important in a lot of ways. So this is a cool thing. Uh, Yeah, I think just seeing how adaptable that we as a society have become. I mean, if you would have told me six months ago that I have to be trapped into my house, I would imagine I would go bonkers. And I think because all of these companies have stepped up to kind of entertain us, I mean, even Disney Plus having Onward and Frozen 2 released early onto Disney Plus streaming service, like we watched that this weekend and that put a smile on my face for the rest of the day. So seeing a lot of these companies really stepping up and taking care of people mentally is really nice to see as well. Now, on that note, and before we move on, because I do want to talk about Disney, but I and I'm going to talk in my What Are You Up To Wednesday. I'm finally watching Tiger King, um, which if you're listening, you probably have already watched it all the way through. Do you think Netflix, like, do you think there was a meeting somewhere where 
Netflix was like, all right, this coronavirus thing is hitting and like people are going to be home, sitting at home and they need something to binge. What do we have in the can that we can give them? And someone was like, I have this crazy documentary about like, I don't know, big cat, you know, exotic animal deal. Like, do you think there was a conversation and do you think it was released in a targeted way or do you think it was just kind of kismet for them that it came out around the time that we were all trapped in our houses? Because Tiger King is not something that I would seek out to watch. I honestly like, think it's, it was definitely coincidental and they got super lucky. I think it was one of those shows that was really quirky that if it was just by itself, maybe wouldn't have found its audience. However, exactly. I think because everyone was stuck at home and looking for something new to watch, it slowly became this huge cultural phenomenon as people started talking about it. I mean, this isn't the first type of thing that they've done. This isn't their first docu-series or anything like that. I mean, they have Don't F With Cats, which I think we talked about. Making a Murderer. Making a Murderer. Like, there's, they have a ton of these docu-series that end up being really successful. And I think they're just pretty good. Like, I don't know, even without coronavirus, I think that this still would have been successful just because they're really good at finding those weird offbeat stories that you don't think you would be interested in. But the storytelling, or really, it's not storytelling, it's real life. The story is just so crazy that you just have to watch right. it. Once you start watching it, you have to watch it. I mean, even the same thing with Love is Blind. Like, for whatever reason, they're really good at hitting the nail on the head and finding shows or stories that you wouldn't think you would want to watch, but then making them really entertaining. There And yeah, I don't want to get too far into this now because we're I'm going to bring it up later in our What Are You Up To Wednesday segment. But like, phenomenon is the right word. I mean, the word of mouth associated with this show and and with love is blind too is just it's unbelievable and it's it's born of this kind of spirit that's like you talk to your friend and you're like oh my god you've got to watch this not because it necessarily is you know super compelling as an art form it's just it is so absurd and it is so ridiculous you got to see this because you otherwise you wouldn't believe it and do you want to know what the best and, part of it about it all is no one's going to the barber shop right now which means give it a couple months, everyone's going to have blonde mullets. We're all going to look like Joe Exotic. It's going to be beautiful. So, well, and yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe South by Southwest will give us something like that. Maybe South by Southwest will give us a few movies that everyone will be talking about. And honestly, that would be the best outcome, I think, because I think indie movies in general get a pretty raw deal. And I think more of them should be seen. Um, so hopefully this this gets us there. I think they just have to do a really good job of publicizing it because the one thing that Netflix has going for it is that when you log into Netflix, and at this point now, most people do, they have that front page of like, oh, this is new and trending on Netflix. And you're like, oh, what is this weird right. guy with a tiger? Not that many people well, have... log on to Amazon Prime. I mean, people do. Right. A lot of people watch it. Don't get me wrong. They have really great content, but I don't think it's as typical for someone to log on to Amazon Prime as it would be for like Hulu or Netflix. So they have to do a really good job of exposing that this is happening, especially since it is a limited time event. The key is people who have fire sticks. Like I have a fire TV stick and I'm 1000% sure that when it starts, Amazon will tell me because I'll turn on my fire stick and it'll say, hey, don't watch anything else. Watch this. And I'll be like, and I'll, you know, I'll be like, okay. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Netflix is is the one to beat and it's it's where everyone goes first and yeah netflix has this thing now where even you log in they don't even tell you like oh this is trending anymore they say they have numbers associated with it now they say this is number one in the u.s today and you're like oh well i mean if everyone's watching it then it's not it can't be bad right um so it's just yeah it, it's anyways now we're kind of we're kind of digressing into like the streaming economy but the point we're trying to make is that amazon is teaming up with south by southwest and it's going to be pretty cool on the other end of the spectrum at least film wise from indie films is of course disney and the other kind of piece of film news that we've gotten uh, unsurprisingly so this week has to do with the fact that disney has essentially pushed a lot of their uh, release dates and granted uh, uh, there's been a few that haven't really been moved that much um jungle cruise only got pushed back a week mulan is being released july 24th now it was supposed to release in, in uh in march black widow got pushed to november 6th and actually the big one, I think the biggest one is that Artemis Fowl, which we talked about on this show, I think we've talked about it a couple of times, mm -hmm. is now getting an exclusive release on Disney Plus. So, so it's not even going to be in theater. I'm actually really excited about that move. And I think it's because they listened to us that we all said that eh, we're probably not going to see it in theaters. We'll probably wait till it comes to streaming. And they just made it so they get all their money right up front. Genius, guys. Way to listen to us. 
it's well and i don't know to what extent it's a response to you know they've been really great about you mentioned onward and 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 they've released frozen 2 early on disney plus and i have to imagine they're they're doing that has sent traffic on disney plus quite a ways up um so this is maybe their just their latest way of saying okay let's do this this is going to be a really smart business move for us I still don't really have much interest in seeing it. It's got to suck for the Artemis Fowl kid. He was going to have a movie in theaters and now he's been relegated to a streaming service. I mean, it's still cool, but you know, there, these, these releases being pushed back makes perfect sense, obviously from a logistical standpoint and from, you know, a health standpoint, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see, you know, that there are certain releases here that are bulletproof black widow. People are going to see black widow, no matter it could come out on, you know, new year's day and people will go see it the thing i'm interested to see is how this is going to shake up their plans for the overall marvel cinematic universe because i could imagine that this will have to shift everything out how much how long was uh black widow shifted by november 6th and it was supposed to come out may 1st so so like what was that six ish months months, i feel like everything is going to have to shift six months and i just wonder how that will have a ripple effect throughout the entire marvel cinematic universe because Although I guess actors, all of their contracts are pretty much done in terms of how many movies they're signed on for and not so much the timeline. Well, but you raise a good point. I mean, it's it's a massive machine that doesn't even just involve movies anymore. It involves it involves television shows now, too. I think what might save them, in a sense, is that, yes, the release dates are being pushed back. But I'm guessing there are probably things that are supposed to be in production right now that that aren't. I haven't heard anything to that effect, but considering that, you know... I think California is one of the states that's essentially in lockdown. So, you know, movies can't be shooting. TV shows can't be shooting right now. So, you know, those get pushed back too. So maybe you just, maybe everything's getting uniformly pushed back. Maybe it's naive of me to think that, but you know, it's a big machine with a lot of moving parts, but I'm sure there are a lot of people thinking about that. Jungle Cruise is an interesting one because that was a standalone, but like Mulan, yeah, you kind of have the nostalgia factor going for that one. So that one, not quite as bulletproof as, as, marvel but it should be fine and also it actually got moved to a summer release slot so it should even do better do you think jungle cruise i really don't know i don't really want to get on like projections of the disease and stuff but july just feels a little early i think everyone is trying is being blissfully blissfully optimistic with a lot of these things they're just pushing it and then they'll evaluate pushing it and then evaluate and rinse and repeat like not even so much from the fact that like places won't be open for business but will people be super excited to pack into a movie theater to see a movie in july (laughs) i honestly think the second we get the green light to go outside there are going to be people like you and i that are going to be hesitant but people will bum rush to be out in public that's what's going to happen if there if there were theaters that were open right now people would be going like it's I, i i yeah i understand your point and and i still think in a lot of ways it is even though it's been going on for what a month a month plus it is still too early to know in july what this is going to look like especially considering the fact that we're not necessarily responding in the right way keep in mind but the theater is closed to protect people from themselves right otherwise however they're going to want to reopen like as soon as the government says you can reopen you better believe they're going to reopen and as soon as they reopen you better believe people are going to go when when this thing ends in any sense in terms of like the non-essential businesses and everything the crowds i expect are going to be insane and and that, that's yeah like you said that's, that's kind of a bigger topic and that's not what we're talking about but i think that may fall into this category as well and, and i'm in terms of the movie industry i'm wondering if if the movie industry might actually suffer because what are you doing when you're watching a movie? You're sitting indoors. <laughs> I think people are going to just be so enamored with being like outside or like in bars or, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. maybe movies might not be a, as big an attractor there. Dude, you um, know, it'd be great if it made a comeback. Freaking drive in theaters. That's the oh, solution. So it, it, that Mic was actually drop, problem I, solved. I read an article about that. I mean, it was actually about a month ago well, this, when this was actually ramping up where there was a drive-in, I think it was somewhere in the South that was experiencing a boom for that exact reason. People still wanted to go see movies, but they they either didn't want to go to crowded theaters or they couldn't because the theaters were closing. And there was a drive-in that stayed open because in theory, you're isolating in your car. And granted, it's not that simple because 
you you know you exchange money and tickets with the ticket taker you go to concession stands and buy concessions you know certain well, certain people do that i never do but certain people do that you don't so buy popcorn still, <sighs> it's tough i mean i do sometimes to support the drive-in but the drive-in theater to me is also a full invitation to just fill your car with the most disgusting snacks you can and show up but yeah eventually anyways eventually that drive-in i think had to close i think most drive-ins if not all drive-ins are closed right now but that's a good point in the summer we could see a huge resurgence of those and like you said i think that would be for the best um they're a cultural staple that should not go away and they've already gone away too much and they'll apparently be screening uh move on among other movies if they're open in july so yeah at, at this point it's unclear what the effect is going to be on their box office take we might i mean we're never going to know because we don't know what the what the may release for black widow would have looked like relative to the november release um there are probably numbers to support that from past years but not this year so we'll see what happens uh the eternals got pushed to february of next year which hasn't the eternals already been pushed a couple of times and the eternals is is also a marvel movie by the way so black widow isn't the only marvel movie that got pushed which kind of lends credence to your point that maybe the whole sequence is going to get messed up I don't know if there's any if there's, if they can build that into the story at all. Although I guess Black Widow too late is to do that. not really part of the story moving forward. Like it's revisiting the past, right. so I guess that won't really matter too much. Eternals is the more interesting one because, in theory, that's going to be a big deal in the next in the next phase of all this, right? But yeah, Black Widow is kind of just putting a blo- putting a bow on on her on her storyline. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, a lot of it is predicated, like you said, on on where this pandemic situation is in july but for now what we know is that the releases have been officially pushed again not really much of a surprise but still news worth noting uh other news worth noting let's talk about this playstation 5 controller because i think all three of us in in certain ways have strong feelings on it um so if you haven't seen this yet uh it's on playstation's blog so you can you can pause the podcast right now go look at it be appalled if you're me it is so ugly and head, and head back and hear us hear us talk about it so there's a couple things to note here and now i know that nerd bomber and i from our conversations we both really don't like the two-tone color scheme that they're going for it's something that we haven't seen in i don't know we haven't seen this in game controllers i mean unless you're counting the switch which i feel like i'm not uh it's, it's a new thing i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing i don't think it's a good thing i think it looks pretty bad i've seen renders and I shared it in our, our group message for, before the podcast, but I've seen renders of the controller in either all white or all black. And the form factor really doesn't look bad if it's all one color. But to me personally, the two-tone just seems so off. Tactic, I know you disagree it's, with us, though. Yeah, you guys are, you Tactic, guys are very Tactic much frustrating back. me for, for multiple things. I like the controller. I think it looks like the Xbox One controller, which has been renowned the most comfortable and ergonomic controller. So they're they're listening to our queries that we want we want that Xbox feel. So fantastic. Thank you, Sony. Secondly, I like a unique color scheme. This is a modern look. It's very sleek. And personally for me, it reminds me of the portal robot from Portal 2, the one the kind of fat one with that same color scheme. And it just it looks sleek to me and I'm I'm very much enamored by it. Okay, now hear me out, though. So the controller almost always matches the console. You go back to the PlayStation 2 and black and black. PlayStation 3, if you got it in black, the controller came in black. If you got one of the special editions, match the controller. Xbox 360, controller was white because the console originally came out in white. Xbox One came out in black originally. The controller was black. So that that's telling me that the PlayStation 5 console form factor that we have not yet seen is probably going to be this weird two-tone. And are you telling me that that's going to fit in my entertainment stand as well as like an all-one-color console would? I think it has the potential to, to really be kind of like an artist, artistic piece of electronic equipment, which excites me. The Xbox One that I have is the white model with the white controller. And I think, again, same vein, it looks very sleek. It looks modern. And I don't mind putting it at the top of the tower. I'm picturing a zebra. I, I, I totally agree with Nerd Bomber here. I think the data supports that this means a two-tone console. And I just But you're missing I a key point. It's a two-tone console with a blue light hue. 
But to me, then that makes it seem like it should be some like crazy gaming computer. Because I mean, it, when when it I think is. when I think two tone with crazy lights, I think that should be in my gaming room. Like I, I don't yeah. know about you guys or the listeners, but like my gaming PC, our gaming PC is very colorful, and I don't know if that would fit the aesthetic of my living room, which is where a lot of people put their consoles. Exactly, consoles are from an, at least what the last few years supports consoles are supposed to be subtle i mean even the indicator lights on a playstation 4 are super muted and they're they're very minimally visible i think what designers were looking for what they were going for and rightfully so was we want this to sit in your living room entertainment stand unobtrusively and we want it to look like like a cable box and you know whatever the reasons for that may be they've hit the mark with that the past few times and if this thing looks like a zebra it's going to, like you said, it's going to belong more in, you know, the same place you'd put a gaming PC. I I have a lot of problems with this controller. Um, I, you know, I, I know that the Xbox One controller and to a certain extent, the Xbox 360 controller, they're considered the more comfortable controllers. They're considered the best ones. I don't like PlayStation selling out and going, basically, we're going to create an Xbox One controller. Uh, I don't like the fact that the buttons aren't colored anymore, which is kind of a, a minimal complaint. I don't know how I feel about the backlight. Uh, I like the, the addition of haptics. We should probably talk about that because that seems like a, a big deal. They're really beefing those up. So, you know, um, the triggers are going to be adaptive and you're going to be feeling tension when you, you know, for example, draw a bow to shoot an arrow. Super cool. And maybe that's why it's chunkier because they need to fit certain components in it that they couldn't fit in the significantly smaller looking DualShock 4 model. I think that um, is super awesome. I really do like the addition of packets. It's super cool. Because one of the things, so a lot of the, the the mind block that I've been having about the fact this next console generation is coming out at the end of this year is that it doesn't really feel like technology has jumped all that far. Like I understand that the graphics will be much improved and like the solid state drives will allow for faster loading times and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like am I going to see a significant jump in quality of game between what I have now and what I'm going to have in this another $500 console that I'm going to plop in my living room. And um, yeah. like, I love games, so I'm going to get it, obviously. But what other things are they bringing to the table? And because to me, like 4K is about how much I need. Like I sit too far away from my TV, I guess, to really notice anything more detailed than that. And even like the 3D dynamic sound, like I have a surround sound system downstairs, but even that like... Most of the time I'm playing in my living room where I just have a sound bar. I don't need super crazy 3D sound, but something like haptics in my controller that will make all of my games feel much more immersive and responsive is truly, to me, that's a game-changing thing because we don't have that currently. Yeah, completely agreed. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that visually there's only so much further that these consoles can go than where we currently are the solid state drive is going to be a game changer i think the haptics will be a game changer i think to a certain extent if you're an audiophile the audio could be a game changer um, and the aesthetic of the visual side changer don't forget uh, that. the one thing <laughs> so you did mention how you don't like that they're selling out and basically turning this into an xbox controller and i will say like you don't get that iconic design when you think playstation controller you have that iconic dual shock shape you have like the little notched out area for the the thumbsticks my problem though is if you're gonna move away from that design now is a perfect time to offset your left thumbstick <laughs> why are you not offsetting no, the left this. thumbstick it is the most comfortable way to play in my opinion and it seems like a lot of people's opinions the offset thumbstick is just much more comfortable i don't understand why you wouldn't go so far as to just swap the d-pad and the thumbstick if you're abandoning the well, classic design and it, it's it's hard to know. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of these decisions that we're talking about that were made, the two-tone, the removing the colors on the buttons, the generally just making it beefier, the, the not switching of the thumbsticks, they have data, they have focus groups, they have all kinds of reasons to say, this is what it should be, this is what it's going to be. Um, I have never had a problem with uh, the thumbstick arrangement on the DualShock. Um, it seems like you do. I mean, it, it, uh, it does seem like every other you know, console and controller does do offset thumbsticks. Um, it has never bothered me that much. But So we talked about this a little bit before we started recording today. Yeah. And one of the things that I find really interesting that you brought up is that it would be super fascinating to get data on how many games actively use 
the left thumbstick versus the right thumbstick. So for me, right. like I'm coming off the heels and I'll talk about it later. Um, playing Doom 2016 because I'd started it, never finished it, figured I should go back. And for the most part, I am using the buttons on my controller and like the right thumbstick, I'll, I'll flick every now and then to change perspective, but I'm often jumping around a lot. So I'm mashing the button and the left stick is what I'm getting the most use out of between the two sticks. So for me, having that offset is just more comfortable. Whereas I guess if you're if you're playing a game where that right thumbstick is being used more, you wouldn't care so much about the left thumbstick placement. But to me, it just seems like it's more comfortable. And I want to see data on that. Someone out there yeah, the, compile data on thumbstick usage. The, the discussion we had was, you know, when you're playing any given game, which thumbstick are you using more? Because PS4's controller assumes balance. It puts the thumbsticks in the same exact spot because it says you're going to be using these thumbsticks equally. If anything, I would say that I'm using my right hand more because I'm using the right thumbstick and I'm pressing buttons with that thumb as well. But it depends on the game. So what you're saying, Nerd Bomber, is you want the left thumbstick up and offset because you're using that one more and that's the more comfortable place for the thumbstick mm-hmm. to be. I agree. It would be super compelling to to see data on this and because again I, i'm sure there's data that goes into this i'm sure they're thinking okay do we want to appeal to the shooter uh the shooter genre of gamers and if we do that they like the thumbstick down here or they like it up there and they like it up here for x y and z reasons you know it's yeah I, there's probably mountains of data that go into it well, but it's it, not data that we have it's interesting to me too because you look at the xbox controller they have the offset thumbstick and they're primarily, I would say this generation is known for a lot of shooter games and multiplayer because unfortunately they don't have a lot of exclusives and the story driven games aren't really what they were pumping out. It was a lot of shooter games as the the first gen or the first party games. Nintendo, on the other hand, is not known for that at all. They're known for platformers and fun little party games and they also adopted the offset thumbstick both with the joy-con setup and with the pro controller which in my opinion while not aesthetically pleasing is my favorite and most comfortable controller of all time hands down so yeah i mean switch users are are left stickers for sure because all you're doing in a nintendo game is moving around mm-hmm. so, so the argument there i think is, is a lot clearer but it would be interesting to see that see that data um but either way uh we want to know what you think of the ps5 controller reveal and also of course of the the xbox um what is the name of the new xbox the xbox series x controller reveal um which one you think looks better you know regardless of which console you're going to get which controller appeals to you more do you like the new ps5 controller do you think it's ugly etc reach out reach out to us on twitter uh at ow legal 86 at ow nerd bomber at ow tactic we'd love to chat with you um right now we are going to take a short break to shout out some of our friends. But before we do, I would love to shout out our good friend, Mr. Ben Chuckness, as we often do. Uh, ben is a producer for this show. He's our Patreon producer, um, and he supports us at our highest level of Patreon support. Uh, and as a result, he gets a shout out uh, producer, producer credit on every episode of the show. He also gets access to our monthly secret segment and vlog. He gets input into our game segment at the end of every show. And he also gets the occasional guest spot. Now, ben supports us at our highest level of support, which is the night level. Uh, we also have two lower, lower levels of support, one being the squire level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and the page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So if you're interested in supporting us and what we do, uh, we love doing this. Hopefully you're enjoying listening. You can head on over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast for more of the details. Thanks again to Ben. And uh, we'll be right back after this short message. We're Jonathan and Molly, and we want to tell you about our podcast, One Star Bazaar. We review the movies critics hated in search of the unfairly underrated. Between our differing tastes in movies and our simplified review criteria, can we agree if a critically panned movie is worth a watch? We try to save you from the terrible movies out there and find the good in the critically bad. Follow us on social media at One Star Bazaar and listen on your favorite podcast platforms. We're back uh, and we are here to talk about this new IGN event, Summer of Gaming. And for that, I'm going to swing it over to our IGN correspondent. Well, you're not our IGN correspondent. I'm just calling you that for the purposes of this. Our IGN correspondent, 
Nerd Bomber, what do you got for us? All right. So with E3 officially being canceled, I know they had talked about potentially having a digital edition of E3, but that fell through and they decided to just cancel it altogether. IGN announced the, their new Summer of Gaming event, which is a digital event that they're planning for June. And it's basically going to almost replace E3 in bringing the latest news about games and the next gen of console hardware. Like we were just talking about the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One. And so far, they already have have a number of collaborators that they've locked down, including like Square Enix. They've got Google Stadia, which I'm actually intrigued to see what they'll be presenting because Stadia has kind of flopped. Um, they've got Amazon, Twitter, THQ Nordic, who's pumping out games left and right, Devolver Digital, Bandai Namco, 2K, Sega. And they say that they'll have more details in the coming weeks. And I'm assuming since they are saying that they'll have announcements and impressions about the next gen of console hardware. I'm assuming that we might see something from like Xbox or PlayStation as well about their new console. Um, so this will be happening in June for audiences around the world to watch at home. So it'll be really interesting yeah. to me because this is kind of filling that hole between what we usually get with E3 that's now been canceled. Right. So it's it's an E3 replacement essentially. And you know, if ever there was a year that was like a bad year for E3 to get canceled. It was this one, right? Because we, like you said, we have these new consoles that are supposed to be coming during the holiday season. We'll see if that changes. But there's going to be a lot to talk, even just with that, you know, disregarding any other games that are coming out for existing consoles. The fact that in the next few months, we're going to be getting so many more details about these consoles and, and getting a better sense of what they look like, how they play. It's going to be crucial that we're able to see all of that, you know, it, it, especially for people who are not sure which one to buy and they want to make an informed decision. So I think for that reason alone, this is super cool. Uh, very similar to the, the, uh, the South by Southwest thing we talked about earlier. Um, just people stepping up and saying, we want to make sure that, you know, people get an experience that's not, not the same, of course, but one that should bring a somewhat relatively close amount of publicity to these developers and to these, hardware designers um so i am glad that someone did cool. step up because i will say e3 i think we talked about it when we did a secret segment like what our favorite episode of the podcast ever is every year and for me i really enjoy talking about stuff like e3 and even like when you get into award seasons for movies and stuff like that because you get so many cool new announcements and it kind of builds hype for the next year in gaming and so yeah not having that on my calendar was kind of a little bit depressing because I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but having a little bit of sense of normalcy in terms of those announcements is super nice. And I'm really excited to be able to have that kind of thing. And especially having one hub for that information to kind of filter out of, because even though we are seeing all of the different brands individually releasing announcements, it'll be really nice to kind of have it condensed. Because as we saw today, like the PlayStation controller announcement came out and like last week, there was more news about Xbox, I think. And like the week before that, there was right. something, there was the Nintendo Mini Direct. And they all kind of just trickle out so that you don't really get that sense of hype around any one thing. It's just like, oh, look, a new detail. Whereas having that one week or two weeks or however long this will go on for will just kind of make it feel a little bit more hyped and important. And I think in a year when new consoles are dropping, you kind of need that. Sure, for sure. I mean, centralizing it is super important. And and I'm glad you kind of you brought up, you know, I'm sure we'll do an episode about this, uh, maybe even ex exclusively devoted to this event and talking about all the announcements, because the way our E3 episodes tend to go is, I mean, this is how long is E3? 10 days? You said 10 days just now. And, and it, you know, that sounds roughly correct. Yeah, and something like that. Within that, within that span of days, just the sheer amount of information and announcements and cool things that you get to see we typically show up for that episode basically saying, okay, you know, we have an hour. We each get to talk about or like mention in passing at least like three things. And and even that is super limiting. We could probably do extended episodes for E3 that last hours, you know. So to have it completely go away would have been horrible. And so it, it's good to hear, like you said, at least for a sense of normalcy that that's not happening. I feel like um, to get all of the content that they can get into... Because things are going on in parallel, it has to be longer than 10 days to do it this way. Yeah, it, well, the logistics of it are very interesting, right? Because it's not, you know, you're going to have all these companies who I guess are just going to be setting up their own live streams, but 
a lot of these companies, even in June, you know, probably won't be able to send employees into work and send them to a one big location. So, I mean, what are you going to have like a, a chief developer, like zooming in from his house? Like, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think, you know, that part takes a backseat and should take a backseat to the, the less logistical part of we get to hear about all this stuff. And yeah, it might not be the same level of polished presentation with big, you know, crowds sitting in, demonstration halls but it's going to be something that we can all still enjoy and like you know we've never been to e3 none of us have so we've always kind of enjoyed it this way so for us the experience hasn't really changed that much i'm um, just excited and, for and, more mobile gaming we had a big yeah, year right. last year <laughs> we did i mean what was the one we talked about last year was it i think it was uh diablo the diablo mobile that, that might have been after e3 um where blizzard announced that they were going to have a diablo mobile game instead of diablo 4 not great shout out to blizzard so yeah this is this is super cool you know again kind of like the south by southwest thing it seems like it's in a bit of an early development stage you know we have all these names attached to it which is great but in the coming weeks slash months we're bound to hear more about okay what exactly is this going to entail and it should be it should be super cool um you know when it comes to games right now i'm kind of in mourning because the last of us two got pushed back but maybe we'll get some kind of extended look at it during this uh what i've heard is that it's essentially ready to go it just you know it can't ship when this is going on so super cool summer of gaming uh we don't know the date on this one no it they said right now it's just sometime in june and they hope to have details in the next couple weeks yeah publisher presentations with ign pre and post discussions remote developer interviews hands-on demos and preview impressions gameplay and news segments so essentially all the content that you're used to getting from e3 is from the sound of it just without all the boondoggle of like renting out a giant convention hall so again you know like i said about south by southwest could this be changing what e3 is gonna be i i, I don't know what the answer to that is maybe the answer is no maybe so. i'm just being a dumb but but like it could be cool to have an event that's totally remote that there isn't there isn't this really small in crowd of people that gets to go there and see it live it's just everyone has this uniform experience of like, here's all this centralized info about games that are coming out and it can be an online forum instead of a forum that also exists in partially in the real world. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I mean, I know E3 has kind of been struggling the last few years. What with big names dropping out, like I know Sony didn't even go to E3 last year and a lot of publishers are just kind of questioning whether it's worth it to set up shop and pay that much money just to kind of, shoot your shot for an hour and then basically pander on the the floor for e3 visitors you know like i feel like right in terms of money versus time and everything like that i feel like you get a bigger bang if you just stream it and i think this might influence the way things will go in the future yeah i mean what uh, it, it, and it does come down to money right like these people are paying money to go to the conference hall and give their shtick i I don't know if what money is being exchanged here i'm sure there's some but like e3 wouldn't have to rent out an enormous convention hall which i'm sure is you know super expensive and like just having it remotely probably saves a lot of money in a lot of places well i just remember what was it more efficient i I don't know if it it obviously wasn't last year because they weren't there but was it two years ago when sony revealed was it ghost of tsushima or maybe i'm thinking of like when sekiro was revealed but they basically turned the entire stage into like a japanese dojo-y type thing and it was like a super big presentation and you can tell a lot of production time and money went into that and if you just do a digital presentation you don't have to worry about that right people probably just want to see the game right i mean there's there's something to be said about like hoopla but that's that's a lot we'll see what happens with this uh, tactic any closing thoughts i hope if they are in fact doing it from their home offices that they at least kind of dress up in a themed game because although people just want to see the game it's still a kind of fun of ex- fun experience to see the 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 stage set so to speak sure well and yeah i don't want i shouldn't minimize the the fun aspects of, of having that experience too i mean the reason that i'm saying i just care about the game is probably for to some extent because i'm not there like the people who are there live seeing that big stage with all the you know japanese iconography on it it's probably amazing um but when i'm on a screen watching it from somewhere else i'm like all right just show me the gameplay so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how this whole thing adapts to some guy on zoom 
in his home office like <laughs> explaining these games because there's a very good chance that that's what it's going to look like so we'll see early june uh be on the lookout ign summer of gaming so now we're going to move into uh what we have been up to and uh i started last week so i won't start this week uh i will turn it over to tactic who i think has something to tell us about okay so as i had said last week i've been taking this time at home as an opportunity to learn new things that I otherwise would have taken the easy way out of. So what I said last week was I started taking up more baking because instead of buying a dessert, now I can make a dessert with whatever hodgepodge ingredients I have lying around the house. So the other thing in that I've been getting into is harvesting the seeds that I get from certain vegetables from the grocery store because... I'm trying to minimize the places I go, and and that is my local nursery. So I'm not going there. I'm going to try to figure it out myself, not by the plants, not by the seeds, just start it from scratch. And so far, it's kind of been an interesting experience simply because it is still pretty cold for that. And for my area, it's recommended April 15th to start um, seeds. So I'm a little bit early, and that's why I spent the day today building a box. Now, I am thrilled about this box. Other people on this podcast think it's just a lame box, but I am excited about this box. The box intended purpose is to hold in and absorb as much as the heat as possible from the heat lamp, because right now I just have the little planner starting tray sitting on my workbench with a light on it, and it is not warming up the soil. So I just need at least five out of six of my walls around this to be insulated and hold in much heat as possible. And then the plan is while it's inside, put like an aluminum foil dome over top of the heat light to retain the rest of the heat and keep my little plant safe from the cold. I'm really excited about this. It sounds like you're adapting very well to the, uh, to the quarantine lifestyle. And, and I commend you on that. I do not have a green thumb of any kind. I've never planted a seed. Well, the so. the fun part about this part about my box is I plan to make it match identically to my shed and I and I've even built a little frame for this thing where you can literally step on it. It's so strong. <laughs> like it's got a home frame had it been a home but mini for my plants. I'm really no, really no. over engineering this box. Well, I want, and with that in mind, I want I want to swing it over to our your household correspondent, Nerd Bomber. Uh, Nerd Bomber, thoughts on this project? I, <laughs> is, this, is this a crazy crazy tinkering man project or like an actually useful? I'm sh- skeptical. Endeavor? So she hasn't seen it for the record. I'm just very skeptical. I don't know that these seeds will actually grow since they were harvested from like food that we ate. And they, I don't think they got like the full proper dry cycle. I, I don't know how long seeds have to sit before you can attempt to plant them or if they'll even be fertile because of whatever they do when they grow super mega peppers. However, you know what? It's keeping them busy, I guess. But yeah, I'm skeptical. It sounds like a, a comparatively productive quarantine hobby slash pursuit. So again, I commend you. Uh, Nerd Bomber, what do you have? So I have two things. So first, we watched Onward on Disney+. Plus. We watched that, I want to say it was that Friday or Saturday we watched the movie. And I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great movie. If I could describe it in one sentence, I would say Disney Pixar's take on D&D, basically. Okay. And I mean, the entire movie is more or less a live action D&D turn to life kind of thing in this animated realm. Because Chris Pratt's character is basically, so to, to summarize, essentially, it's a it's a fairy tale realm where everyone has kind of lost their magic because they've turned to electricity and like common technology. So they haven't needed to use their magic. So it just kind of went away. And Chris Pratt's character as the older brother, um, he is really into like D&D because it's all quote unquote factual based and very historically accurate. So he's basically playing Dungeons and Dragons in this world. But it's all based on the magic of old times. And his brother is bequeathed a magic staff by their deceased father to bring him back to life for a day so that he can meet his sons grown up. And 
it basically turns into one giant Dungeons and Dragons quest turned to life. For me, I really liked the characters. Like, I was not sure how Chris Pratt would fit in terms of his character from the trailer. I ended up really enjoying his character. I really was impressed by Tom Holland. I still cannot get over the fact that he's a British actor. Every time I hear him with his American accent, it's pretty it's convincing. It's so convincing. Yeah. Um, I really like Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Usually, um, you you don't... I would say in these type of movies, the, the parents either never find out that their kids went on a quest somewhere, or they're just like, oh boy, Jimmy went on a quest, you know, and they just kind of right. like take a back seat. Whereas I felt like her character, while she obviously wasn't the prime story beat that was being followed, she did a fairly decent amount in the story to contribute. Yeah, it was more than just, here's your obscenely large breakfast and grab a piece of toast. See ya, have a good day, sweetie. <laughs> right. I think the movie was super I, heartfelt. It was a lot of fun. I laughed a lot, I think, because we are D&D and overall just like science and magic nerds. I thought it was super funny. There were a lot of like one-liners that I really enjoyed. And so I was super pumped that Disney put it on Disney Plus early because I definitely wanted to see it in theaters. We just didn't get a chance before they all shut down. See, the biggest aspect that I took from it that I really enjoyed was not only was it Disney's take on D&D, but it was Disney's take on relating to teens trying to fit in, which is a huge, huge, huge market, right? Every teen, especially emerging into high school, doesn't know where they fit in. They don't know who to talk to. Some have different family situations, and it's, it's important to say, hey, you have to figure out who you are and find yourself and that is how you grow as an individual. And that was kind of a big, important thing that stuck out to me. Now, with all this born in mind, so, so I've actually heard mixed rev- reviews. I, I, I think have, being Pixar at this point, being a Pixar movie has to be really hard because you're in this pantheon of amazing movies that are, by and large, tearjerkers. So I guess but the one question I would have is like tearjerker factor. Is it? I've heard that it lacks the emotional power of other of other Pixar movies. True, false, I would say unclear. It's definitely not as emotionally compelling, I don't think, as other Pixar movies. I would say it's definitely the ending does have tearjerker moments though, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, see see Pixar has set this this bar for themselves that is gonna get harder and harder to clear and like the comparison that I heard from someone else is that it's like if Pixar made a DreamWorks movie, which DreamWorks makes good movies and like they've made Shrek, which as much as it's made fun of was like did very well and it's it's objectively a very good movie so like this probably definitely is a very good movie but when people compare it to other pixar movies that make them like question their humanity you know it's it's a tough bar to clear yeah i would say go on with like watch it a wreck it ralph kind of expectation whereas like i actually really liked wreck it ralph and again it had all of that nerd culture appeal it wasn't like this super like deep down emotional experience that a lot of other Pixar movies are. But you know what? Sometimes I don't want that. And especially, gotta say it, in the middle of a pandemic when I'm stuck at home, it was kind of nice to have a fun Pixar movie, like a very high quality animated movie with a great voice cast, a good story that made me feel pretty good at the end. Try to minimize your existential crises. Right. There's only so much soul searching you want to do at, at a time like this. And, you know, not every Pixar movie has to be like that. Record Elf is another is a pretty good comparison because that movie certainly didn't like make me question anything. It was just a fun kind of nerdy movie. Mm-hmm. So good to know. The other thing that I've been doing that I just want to quickly touch on is um, knowing that Doom Eternal came out and that I had started and never finished Doom 2016. I did take that game back up again and it it does hold up. It's a lot of fun still to play. I do have to say, though, like, I don't know if I just didn't progress far enough into it, but there are some bosses that are super hard. And I think that's the way I that it, it was intended to be. Like, I think you're supposed to die a couple times before you get it right because you have to learn, like, the attack progression of the bosses. But wow, I mm-hmm. feel like I got a decent cardio workout just from playing this game and i'm on the final boss actually i just put it down before we came to record today so i should have finished it probably tomorrow yeah well i'm to segue into my update so i'm having a similar experience with uh dishonored 2 which i know at least one of you played at nerd bomber you played it right did you finish it 
I did not finish it. I started it. Did not finish it. I got a few missions in and then I think summer hit or something and I never went back to it. I should go back to it. So it's great. Uh, Like I I will say like I I really liked the first Dishonored and I remember why I liked it and Dishonored 2 is just doubling down on all of that stuff and it's fantastic. My experience with this one in a lot of ways is very similar to Dishonored in that I don't play a lot of stealth-based games. I forget how bad I am at stealth-based games and oh my god I am terrible like like dishonored 2 takes it a step further than dishonored in that at the end of a mission they don't just tell you oh you were low chaos or high chaos they tell you you were spotted by this many people and like i just find it i I don't kill anybody i do very well with that i'm very non-lethal i'm very low chaos i am so bad at getting around without being spotted everyone and everyone in dishonored and dishonored 2 they're so vigilant they're so vigilant and like i we were talking about the control sticks earlier about like which control stick you use more and i use Dishonored 2 as an example when we were talking about this off the air in the sense that i do so much not moving when i'm playing dishonored 2 because i'm just sitting there trying to analyze people's movements look around and determine when my best time to strike is so i'm not doing a lot of left stick and i'm doing a lot more right sticking but it doesn't help i, I don't know if i don't have the patience or if I just don't, I, I don't know what it is, but um, I know I'm still having fun. My time with Dishonored but... 1, I started trying to be patient and then I just started killing everybody because it was easier. It's, it, well, yeah. I, and, and it's like sometimes I'm sitting there for like 10 minutes, like watching what a guard does. And I'm like, is this worth it or should I just should I just shoot him? <laughs> like, I, I haven't killed anybody yet. Uh, I've... I think I'm on the third mission. So like, I'll give more of an update on this next week because I'm going to keep playing it. I'm really enjoying it. But stealth is hard. That's my main point. The other update I have is that uh, I'm watching Tiger King. And like, yeah, I know I'm late to that party. And, and I, I mentioned it earlier. Um, to kind of piggyback onto your point about Onward, like it, I don't want to have an existential crisis. I don't want to do any soul searching. And this show is just perfect for that because its main premise is these people are messed up and you didn't know that they exist and just here they all are. You're not going to like anybody. It's going to be just a lot of heinous. I'm three episodes in. So like, I feel like I haven't even, I'm at the tip of the iceberg. You haven't even got to that bitch, Carol Baskin, but it well, no, I've gotten to Carol Baskin. I'll, I'll tell you, they did, you the last episode kittens. I watched, the, the last episode I watched was all about how she almost definitely murdered her husband. Um, and like all the very obvious evidence that she, absolutely murdered her husband um haven't gotten to the meth stuff yet but i've heard about it so i'm excited for that got to the polygamy stuff that was weird that's like episode one they're like they're like roll the credits and here's a bunch here's this guy who's having sex with a bunch of like 17 year olds it's great guys you should watch it it's don't expect it to make any sense but it's entertaining i'll say that much i understand now why it's so popular because it's just mind-boggling honestly you can't look away from it yeah you, you can't look away from it because you're like is this does this person exist did they ever exist how can they possibly exist and it's there's no good guy it's like this guy hates this person this person hates this person they all hate each other but also they're all just horrible people like there's no good guy so anyways i'll probably give an update on that next week as well but for now I want to transition into our game of the week, uh, which is going to be uh, based on astrology. So I don't know how many questions this is going to be. I know it's going to be at least five, but past that, I'm not sure. We're, we're kind of just going to see how it goes. Um, as, as much as I can, they're going to be prices Right style questions. Uh, may the best, best competitor win. And before we start, I do want to make it clear. I said astrology and not astronomy before you get confused. So, uh, First question, what percent of Americans believe in astrology? We're talking horoscopes. Who gets to go first? And I, uh, ladies I, first. I, we'll, we'll, we'll say ladies first. Yeah, that's what we usually do. Okay, I'm going to say 52%. Okay. Oh, I think it's more than that. I think it's 70. Guys, I said astrology, not astronomy. <laughs> you both busted by a lot. Uh, 33%. A third of Americans, and I even I think that's high. I I guess I, I thought met, it was more. I have met. I don't so many know any people. people. Like if I scroll through my Facebook account, a lot of people are like sharing their horoscope of the day and stuff like that. And 
I'm inclined either they just like to share it for no reason then, or I think that status skewed. Mine said I'm not leaving my house today, so I think it was spot on. Well, I, I should say also... This this is from a website from Texas A&M University. Shout out to Texas okay, A&M. Okay, so it's pretty uh, legit. Well, but it's also from 2013 because <laughs> that was just like the best source that I could find. Maybe in the past seven years, that number has shot up, but I really doubt it. Um, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know many people. I, I've seen it posted. I guess you're right. I've seen people post it, but I think a lot of the time they're posting it being like, oh, look at this. It says I'm going to find love today. They don't necessarily believe it. They're just like, oh. Then if this happens, I can look back and say that this was right. I don't know. I don't know. Astrology is weird. Let's move on. Um, what percentage of astrology readers are women? So of that 33%, what percent of that number is women? I'm going to go 60%. Okay. Nerd bomber. Oh, man. I wanted to go at 60% too. I'll do 61. Okay. Nerd bomber gets a point using the cheap tactic. Uh, 75% is the answer. Uh, which to me, that one, uh, I think makes a little bit more, like that's around what I would guess. I don't know. I shouldn't analyze the numbers. Um, here's an interesting one. What is the total number of professional astrologers in the U S and don't ask me what professional astrologer means. Cause I don't know. I guess they just like, I don't know, look at your stars and tell you what your, what your life's going to be like. No. Are I- these like your palm reader type people? Um, let me think. I mean, okay, well, so... Palm, palm reading is different, though, because palm, palm reading is an astrology. That's palm But reading. I feel like it all kind of rolls into the same type of thing and the same shtick, you know? She's trying to pad her numbers. It, well, no, because I'm trying... Potentially. I'm trying to think. So, the last time we visited New York City, we were astonished by how many, like, palm reader horoscope type little shops there were all over the place. And like uh-huh. Long Island Medium and New York Psychic and that kind of thing is like fairly legit. There's a lot of them. So from that alone, I feel like, uh, what's this percentage, did you say? This is not percentage. No. This is just the total number of professional astrologers in the United States. Okay. I'm going to say there's probably like 15,000. I'm going to go 300. Okay. Um, Tactic gets the point. Uh, it was 7,000. So I like, I feel Nirvana, I feel like you were on the right track. You just, you went a little too high and actually tactic was both lower and closer. So, uh, now it's tied at one. You guys both have a point as you may know, may or may not know. Well, I guess this is not, uh, this question doesn't count, but do you guys know how many signs are in the original Zodiac calendar or sorry, how many signs are in the current Zodiac calendar? The current one is 13. The original is 12. No, there's 12 right now. No. I'm fairly certain there are 12 now. Look it up. Are there 13 zodiac signs? I'm just going to look up how many zodiac signs are there. And let's see what Google says. There are 12. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Search. Are the there 13? Are... There, it's, this is important. There was, the since the stars are moving away from each other, there's actually a new one. It's important. Well, okay. This, is the, this isn't the question. The question is, how many were there originally? And I'll tell you, it's not 13. I'm going to say... Wait, no, I don't go first on this one. Tactic, this is you. I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say like 16 moon star phases or something. Okay, so Nerbomber gets this point. There were originally apparently 18. I don't have the information on what those other six were in front of me. All I know is what this webpage is telling me, which is that there were 18. Um, there is, a, when you do a quick Google, there is a lot of data to support your 13, your, there being 13, like you said, Tactic. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you that. But apparently they were at one point in the beginning, 18. So Nerd Bomber is up to two points. Let's do a few more questions here. And now I have to go to a different web page. Data on astrology is kind of hard to find, guys. Uh, when was the oldest known horoscope discovered? Or wait, let me, let me rephrase that question. The oldest discovered horoscope was written when? In terms of year? Uh, it actually has the entire date, but let's just go with the year. I'm going to say 1920. Tactic. I'm going to say 200 BC. No, 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 no. That's silly. Um, 1100. So my justification before you give this answer, and I sound stupid, is that I'm trying to think of like when newspaper horoscopes became like a thing. 
Because I feel like, sure, you could have like written something down, but I'm assuming this is like newspaper horoscope. You assumed incorrectly. You both busted, first of all. Uh, Tectic, your half guess was awfully close. 410 BC. I mean, this guys, this is an ancient art, right? It was like, it's like an ancient Chinese. They're based on ancient Chinese symbols. So like you would, yeah, but it would I, go the reason why back. I backtracked is because I forgot how BC counted for a second. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, know, I, I was kind of wondering that too. I was like, what if he says 200 BC? Is that before or after? I think it's after because BC counts down and then it counts up. I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. Let me find another one. Uh, okay. Apparently, uh, Leos are the worst drivers based on Australian car share service, GoGet which parsed through information on 100,000 of their users to determine that Leos are the most likely to get busted for speeding. You know, thank God for that app, really. Seriously. (laughs) Right. Thanks for that information. Uh, According to the data, Leos are uh, what percent more likely to get a ticket than Libras? So basically, what is the skew here? I'm going to say 5%. I'm going to say 6%. It's 40%. So Tectic takes home the point. Uh, So now it's tied again at 2 and now I have to keep scrolling to look for more questions. Uh, an analysis of top athletes uh, found that uh, they were Aquariuses uh, as either their sun or moon sign what percent of the time? This is the most frequently appearing sign in, ath- in top athletes. So every Aquarius... Wait, what was the question? I'm sorry. The question is, if you look at an analysis of top athletes the athletes had Aquarius as either their sun or moon sign, what percent of the time? Okay. So basically what percent of them are. So every Aquarius I know is an Omega athlete. So I think the percentage is super high. I'm going to go with 80%. I'm going to go a little bit lower and say 40%. Okay. You guys both busted. It was 21%. So yeah. Uh, let me keep looking here. This is, this is tough, and it, it, I, I can tell it's tough because you guys, neither of you have many points. So what we're going to do is we're going to find one more question for all the marbles. And interesting. What is the most common sign? Uh, more people are born on a certain day than any other day of the year. So I'm just going to say that that means that more people are this sign than any other sign. So this is, this is multiple choice, really. This is not... Pretty. I'm going to say Sagittarius. We'll just guess until one of you gets it. I want to guess the one before Sagittarius because it's nine months after Valentine's Day, but I'm drawing a blank on what it is. It is not Capricorn. It's not. It goes Cap. It goes Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius. But what's before Sagittarius? Scorpio. Scorpio. I'm going to guess Scorpio. Scorpio is the most common sign in America. Tactic, you take it home. Congratulations. And it actually does say. This may or may not have something to do with its position in the calendar relative to Valentine's Day. Boom so, shakalaka. You've done it. Congratulations. Uh, now we know everything there is to know about uh, astrology slash the zodiac slash horoscopes. Hey, sh- shout us out. Shout out. Shout out to us on social media. What's your What's your zodiac sign? Are you a, Are you a horoscoper? Are you an astrologist? Hit us up. Um, hit us up for any reason, really. Uh, we're happy to chat at you. Uh, over at, at OWIllegal86, at OWNerbummer, at OWTactic. Uh, in the meantime, before we air our episode next week, um, we thank you all, as usual, for joining us. And we would encourage you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. Uh, and we will see you next week. Adios. Bye.